Welcome to Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the promise of clean energy. This program brings you leading voices in solar and energy storage and sectors impacting renewables, exploring challenges and solutions for industry growth, the true cost of operating and maintaining power plants, and system asset management considerations. My name is Josh Corbett. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Lyman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. Well, welcome to another episode of Power Players. As, as everybody knows, we like to bring in the brightest minds in the industry and talk about things that really matter. And hopefully uh, those of you who are listening and watching can take home uh, or back to your office, you know, real useful data that you can that we can use to change, you know, our industry and, and change how power is produced and, and the solar industry and how we operate today. Uh, Today, along that line, for the second time on this show, I am happy to say I've got Leila Garcia da Fonseco uh, here. Uh, you, you are responsible for the wind and solar operations and maintenance uh, at Woodmac, right? And, and, and you run and head up all of the sort of reports and everything. And we're going to jump right into that report. But this isn't where you've always been. You've been at this for like 10 years or so. And uh, Denmark, Brazil, Mexico, sort of all over the place, multilingual. Uh, very aware of not just market dynamics here, but around the globe. Um, spent some time at Vestas, GE, you've been in marketing. I think you've got a master's in renewable energy, right? That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I always respect uh, education. It's, uh, you know, for me, that's one of those things that, that separates us, you know, that willingness to constantly learn. And um, today, I'm hoping to learn from you. So, Layla, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me here again. Uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this podcast for the second time. Um, and yes, yeah, a lot of places, a lot of languages. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can learn from each other during this session. That's always the hope. And maybe in the process, some other people learn from from us. That's Absolutely. that's that's the deal. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's start. Um, in an area where you are absolutely the expert, the report you wrote and you mm-hmm. helped put together that uh, was released recently. And, and remind me, Woodmac released a report. Remind me that the title, timing, when did it come out? Like, and, and sort of what's the yeah. focus? Like, so what, what, like how been, do you guys approach that? Yeah. Uh, so we have been publishing this report, I believe, since 2015. Uh, so mm-hmm. since uh, Wood Mackenzie was GTM and uh, Wood Mackenzie acquired GTM. Yeah. Um, and I've taken the the role of uh, kind of overseeing this report since 2019. And uh, we publish uh, this report on an annual basis, uh, looking back into the previous year. So the report from 2023 looks back into 2022 numbers. We um, we reach out to a number of major service providers uh, globally, uh, including Origis, and uh, we try to get uh, to understand uh, how the, the, the solar PV capacity globally is being uh, managed. Uh, also, pricing, costs, and general market trends. Um, so today we cover, I believe, um, more than 10 um, global markets, including the U.S. Uh, and Canada and North America. And um, and yeah, I'm happy to share the, the key findings and um, yeah, and deep dive into our uh, main takeaways. So since you're happy to share the key findings, what were the key findings? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the major takeaways. Like just, you know, what 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 did you guys pull from that? This I year? think I'm I'm gonna focus on, on two things that actually surprised me. Um so I, I mentioned that uh, we've been uh, publishing this report uh, since 2015 and we've we have been seeing consolidation over the years, meaning that the top OM providers they concentrate. Um, a certain market share of the market, the assessed portfolio, because of course we don't cover the entire terawatt uh, of solar PV capacity worldwide, right? Um, maybe we this report covers 25% uh, because it excludes China. 
Yeah. Um, so considering that, um, let's say by the end of 2022, we had something around 800 gigawatts of solar PV capacity installed, excluding China. Um, our assessed uh, portfolio uh, comprises 207 uh, gigawatts, I guess. So that's roughly 25%. Um, and for the first time, we actually saw market fragmentation. And what does it mean? It means that the top 15 O&M players, they decrease their market share compared to the previous year. And uh, that's kind of new to us because for many years, and uh, you're going to remember that, we saw, especially in the US, we saw a lot of new and new big entities being formed, right? We saw, and um, uh, if I forget one, uh, Michael, please uh, correct me. I believe we saw Novasource uh, through first solar acquisition and Sun Power, and even before that, the also Energy Sun System uh, O&M uh, portion of the business. Then we saw a Tachyon, uh, which perhaps is more wind related uh, for now. We saw Pierce Renewables, and then we saw Renewable, which includes Tonian, uh, who is uh, more focused on solar and all of those except for nova source they are multi-technology right they cover storage wind and, and solar and after those let's say those four entities were formed uh the m a uh market was kind of i wouldn't say quiet but the transactions were not that uh significant in terms of volume in uh, megawatts um, and that kind of, I believe, our report reflects that. Uh, so we saw a lot of smaller players, players that are not within the top 15 uh, global companies um, increasing their portfolio, and also smaller companies, even companies that had uh, maybe less than 500 megawatts under their uh, managed capacity, really increasing uh, more than maybe three times their capacity. So I believe that's kind of the the first main takeaway slash surprise we had when writing this report. Um, the second one is uh, pricing. Uh, as you know, we uh, we do um, a survey every year with the major O&M companies. This year, we covered more than 125 companies and had a record response of 35 companies responded to our survey, which gives us very uh, a lot of certainty on our results and, and, and outputs. And uh, pricing actually came down, uh, which is something that's uh, surprise number two. Uh, and uh, it came down for uh, globally, uh, so for all regions, and we especially kind of uh, emphasized uh, US uh, on the report. And uh, you are also very much present in the US market. So I think uh, we can talk and you can help me also understand why uh, those prices uh, are coming down. Um, because we expect them to come up due to labor, uh, due to wages, and also inflation, right? Sure. Um, all right. So, two things: consolidation, yep. or fragmentation. fragmentation. Why? What's going on? And pricing, right? Yep. So let's unpack these. Let's start with the consolidation fragmentation conversation, because I think that feeds into the pricing and, and some Absolutely. of the dynamics that are yep. happening there. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you saw, you, you know, at a detail level um, when you were looking at fragmentation, consolidation, and sort of what's happening in the marketplace, new entrants. Like, just talk to me a little bit about what you saw there specifically. Um, so, yeah, so we actually, uh, the top three service providers globally, not talking uh, about the U.S. only here, um, it's Novasource, uh, SolarRig, and uh, Solve Energy, mm -hmm. and they remain the same in 2022. Again, our report this year looks back into 2022, so uh, I'm going to be talking about the last year. And um, and together, I, I believe they represent 20 to, between 20 and 25 percent of this assessed portfolio, um, which is a pretty uh, a good concentration of the capacity 
And then the top 15, which includes other companies that you are, um, the listeners are more than welcome to download our report and, 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 and check the, the, the full list, the full ranking. Um, they went down to 55% of market share globally. And they were at uh, 58% uh, on the year before. So we see a 3% market contraction there um, where other players uh, outside of those top 15, those top three, uh, actually had a big uh, a big growth. They added uh, 17 gigawatts uh, year over year, while the top 15 added 13 gigawatts. So for smaller companies, that's uh, a pretty, let's say, uh, big number uh, for them, for sure. Well, so you know, you you that's the report, that's the data from the report. But yep. what do you think is going on there? Yeah, so um, I think that um, as uh, the fleet ages globally and um, components are going out of warranty, um, asset owners are trying to, okay, uh, can I find more competitive uh, contracts out there for O&M? And then depending on the market, uh, we see that a lot in Europe, for example, you have those smaller players that they are willing uh, to uh, perhaps not uh, focus uh, on uh, very high uh, profitable uh, contracts. And uh, they have the local labor and they can make that happen for asset owners. So they go and they, they grab those contracts with older uh, assets and uh, slowly they start to increase their capacity under uh, management. So yeah. that's kind of my take. So to be completely honest with you, I predicted this a couple of years ago, what you're talking about. And, mm -hmm. and, and the dynamic that I saw at the time, and, the, and there is no one dynamic from, from my viewpoint in the marketplace that's driving this. There's a combination of factors um, from my perspective. And uh, the, but what I saw happening was a lot of independent entities, or just is no, no exception, you had, you know, uh, other groups like Eight Minute, which has now become Avantis, I think, and and uh, you had uh, Invenergy. Um, you had Next Era going out and competing in the third party market, not just mm -hmm. being purely themselves. Yeah. And so, and so, what I saw happening was a number of developers and owners, and a lot of the owners, the people that we work with today have an intention i think of the five or six third party main third party customers we have three of them fully intend to develop their own o m mm -hmm. uh, operations so what i didn't see was additional third party entrants what i saw were entrants coming in who had a pipeline attached had business attached had an existing pipeline and wanted to control their own fate yep, um, yep. and didn't want to be which which makes sense because so often what affects production quality of sites and everything are determined by the contracts, the materials provided, the quality of the construction, the things that happen upstream and are not actually determined by the O&M provider. So that puts third party O&M providers at a real disadvantage because they don't have the ability to work with the procurement team to work upstream to make sure that they have better quality equipment so that they can drive up time. They just they're just dealing with. They are they are completely isolated from those upstream decisions, which drive a lot of of their effectiveness day to day, which then drive the perception of their effectiveness as partners. Yeah, right, wrong, yeah. right or wrong. And most you guys wrong, are problem solvers, honest. I guess, because you get everything that could be wrong, done wrong in a way you are there to fix it and make it uh, perform the best way possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the metaphor I've used for many years is O&M is a big porch and people keep lighting bags on fire, ringing the doorbell and running away. <laughs> and there's and our porch is full of everybody's flaming bags of decisions and things that were made upstream and, and we're and we have to figure out what to, to do with it. Um, and that's a real that's a real disadvantage for third party players. So I think third party players got a bit of a black eye. Um, you know, we've seen. Uh, across the United States, that sites are the expectations on their production is, are are unrealistic. The modeling is unrealistic, and and yet there's this drive to try to get back to that. But it, you're trying to get back to something that wasn't that wasn't true to begin with. 
yeah. um, which is why you're seeing portfolios across the country. If you read kilowatt hour analytic reports and some of the others that are just not producing what they should. And so the net net is a general feeling that people have of like, look, if this isn't being done well, why don't we just handle it for ourselves? And that's created a bunch of new entrants mm-hmm. and who who not only are serving their own needs, but are putting their hanging their shingle out for third parties as well, which is so that fragmentation has been happening for a few years now. But it, I think you see it coming to the forefront because what you're not seeing is growth in the third party side. So yeah. as a percentage of the total portfolio, the when you have all these companies taking their pipelines off the market and driving them through their own entities, the available market for the third parties goes down even exactly. when the, as a percentage and maybe in absolute terms. And I echo everything you said, Michael, and that's our report actually doesn't include self-performers. And uh, I mean, I, I, I oversee wind and solar, and those are very different markets. Sure. Uh, so while uh, our survey here covers uh, more than 200 gigawatts, and that's only 25% of the global installed capacity, uh, because the market is fragmented, right? You have all of those self, we call them self performers, asset owners that uh, they maintain their own assets like Nextera. They are very well known for doing that across technologies, wind and solar. And now they are exploring, uh, okay, if we do that, that well uh, to our own assets, why don't we go and service other uh, third party assets? And we are gonna start to see uh, next era into our report um, moving forward uh, because they are just starting, the capacity is still uh, uh, low, and but they, are, they will eventually uh, be ranked in, in our report. And it's not only next era, uh, there are other few uh, players that are going on the same, on the same way. And, um, and actually, I would like to add uh, some things, but maybe we're going to cover that um, later on. Oh, the... We're having a conversation and everybody else is along for the ride. So what do you think? <laughs> OK, so because just after we, we released uh, this publication uh, that we didn't see any like big uh, co- uh, consolidation or any big M&A uh, uh, transactions, then bam, the the uh, one big one came, which was uh, RAS acquired uh, Ingatine, and uh, Ingatine is the service part of Ingatine, right? They the, didn't yeah, only the, whole the company. Whole, yeah. No, not the whole company. As everyone yeah. knows, Ingatine is an inverter manufacturer, and they had a pretty big O and M business division. Um, they were ranked number four in our global ranking, and uh, RAS. Uh, who is a developer, EPC, uh, they also had their O&M division and they just uh, announced, uh, it's still uh, to be closed, but uh, they just announced the purchase of uh, the acquisition of Ingatim O&M uh, business. Um, so yeah, just after uh, the report came out, um, we, we heard about this. And that changes uh, the market a little bit. Uh, just like when NovaSource was formed, it's kind of a big, not I wouldn't say disruptor, but it shows us, okay, so are, are we gonna see consolidation coming back to the market? So it's exactly what you said. Um, we maybe one year we see consolidation, the other year we are gonna see a little bit more fragmentation. Um, but bottom line is that uh, usually the top 15 players globally, they are half, between 50 and 60% of the market share. That's what we've seen over the last several years. Yeah, and I think we'll see that continue. I, look, I, um, it's interesting. I think there's consolidation happening in the third party, I, you know, only. Uh, but to your point, so many entities coming out and saying we're going to chart our own course, I think is driving fragmentation when you look at it holistically um, and all the things you just talked about. But M&A, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think M&A is hard in this space. Uh, there's a number of reasons. One is because traditional M&A, the thought is, you know, through scale, you can get savings, you can drive value and you can and you can scale up and then get a multiple value. You know, it's a typical PE kind of, you know, driven mentality, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really work that well for services companies because the margins are not 
that great. And we're going to talk about price erosion in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, margins are not that great. Um, and and you don't get as much from scale because the core of the business is labor heavy. It's 60 to 70 percent labor and the labor scales on, you know, the field labor, which is the largest portion of that scales linearly with your megawatts. So it's not you don't you get some savings on the overhead, but you don't get savings on the on the bottom. And so that really makes it hard for your traditional M&A drivers, your VCs, your PEs, your, you know, your investment vehicles to engage in that. And it also makes it hard to do an M&A where the the cost of the M&A is supported by the value of the entity after the fact, because you lose so much value in the process. That and also, to be completely honest, owners don't like you changing their counterparties without their permission. And they have a right to say, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to take our business elsewhere. We're not going to agree to assignment. We're not going to let you innovate. Um, you know, I have had so many of those discussions over the years with the owners who basically just feel like, hey, we contracted with you. Now you're changing the game on us. We don't mm-hmm. like it. And we're going to take that for sure. And we're going to take that that control back in our own hands, which is, again, driving that third party thing. Like when you have all this consolidation and M&A happening, it creates chaos from an owner's perspective, which makes owners more and more say. Let's. Let's control our own fate and our own future. What can we do about that? Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think these problems are sort of commingled in their root causes. And I think there's also a big chunk of it that has to do with what's happened since COVID and, and the supply chain issues. But we'll talk about that, I think, in a minute. So what other what other thoughts do you have around fragmentation versus consolidation based on what you've seen in the discussion today? Put your put your forward thinking view on what do you think next year's report is going to look like? What what do you think? Where do you think this is going to go? I, th- I think that uh, after the RAS and Gatine um, deal, I would expect uh, more um, similar transactions to happen. And if we, let's say, Ingatim is an inverter manufacturer, right? Sure. So what are the other inverter manufacturers out there with some robust O&M business? It's SMA and it's Schneider Electric, right? So would those uh, companies be willing to, okay, you know what, the, the, the O&M business give me uh, margins that are way too low for me uh, to make sense. So uh, let's get rid of it. And because that's what was behind, according to us at Woodmac, behind the deal. Inga team wants to take um, advantage of IRA and all the benefits that local manufacturing will have uh, across renewable technologies. They just announced um, on their Milwaukee's um, manufacturing plant that they are expanding that for electrical vehicles, uh, chargers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so to raise capital to increase manufacturing capacity in the US to serve this growing business of local content here, it makes a lot of sense for you to get rid of the no so profitable business and get this capital and invest in this manufacturing expansion, right? Um, so I don't know, it can be a, a, this kind of business case can be replicated to other companies that are looking to expanding manufacturing capacity in the US. Other inverter companies, again, SMA, um, uh, Schneider Electric, but then you have also other module companies, right, that could also be thinking about doing that. Um, in the past, the, the, the creation of NovaSource was exactly companies kind of getting rid of their O&M businesses back then, right? So perhaps that's something that's happening again. Um, so let's see. I, I My guess is that we are going to see one or a couple more um, similar transactions uh, happening over the not not next year but over the next years. That's my guess. What's yeah, your and I would, <laughs> Well, um, you know, I think one when you talk about the list of top providers uh, in the top four, you've got Solve, Pierce, and Novasource, which are all PE owned, right? Uh, Solve, so, so, Solarig. 
well, I said top four, so I left Solar out because I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know their ownership. Are they P? And they're international. They're not in the U.S., so I don't have an opinion there. Oh, <laughs> you have Inga Team as fourth, and then Schneider Electric as fifth. Yeah, but like Inga Team, as to your point, sold. But Pierce is in there in the top ones. I have to go back and look at the list traditionally somewhere in there. No, Pierce uh, is I think number 20, 20 something. So really, they're, 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 yeah. I didn't realize they had gone down that far. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the top ones that are PE owned by definition are for sale and could be consolidated by a single party at a later date if somebody really wanted to. But that consolidation is more difficult than people imagine because, again, the, the, it's labor heavy. So the scale uh, doesn't respond to consolidation like a software or technology company would. Um, and the scale and profitability doesn't respond that mm -hmm. way. So I think that, look, I think more and more owners are going to be with big portfolios and big pipelines are going to be taking taking it into onto themselves. And I think consolidation in your developers and your owners is going to drive consolidation in the operations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. I, you know, I don't think the O&M companies uh, or asset management companies in and of themselves, I think the, the forces of consolidation there, which normally you know, for scale, profit, things like that don't work that well there. And I think that the other parts of the market are going to drive that. Um, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see. I also think there's going to have to be some rationalization around around the valuations of those companies. Um, you know, PEs value those companies at anywhere from four to six times EBITDA. They're transacting 10 plus or minus two, at which point in time you pay so much for it in the transaction that it's a 10 year payback based on the EBITDA multiplier and the and the EBITDA they actually produce, which makes it not pencil. So it's gonna be, some of those things have to change. And to the, our next point about price, prices have to come back up for, for those companies to look both to be profitable and therefore look uh, good for from a from a traditional consolidation perspective. I I think you you have a good point uh, saying about uh, like the profitability and the valuation, but um, we also have to 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 think that uh, the 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 buyer in this case, which is RAS, they have other business arms, right? So while they go through the payback phase, they are also um, they can benefit from these other businesses, uh, the development phase, the EPC, uh, to kind of support this. So when we talk about O&Ms that are only O&Ms, it's very, very difficult to for a buyer that's, uh, okay, I'm a, an ISP and I'm going to buy right. this portion of uh, uh, this uh, uh, third-party assets under management. It's It's very complicated. But then for a company that ha has other businesses, then uh, things uh, change a little bit. And another, uh, before we jump into pricing, uh, Michael, uh, another thing that we have to take into consideration is that we are talking about multi-technology here. So the wind O&M business is very different from solar. You have much higher margins uh, for wind. And actually the O&M, the wind O&M business, business today is much more profitable than uh, new unit sales. So, and then getting deal uh, goes together, it's wind and solar and et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. It, there are a lot of uh, moving parts there that make this uh, deal kind of, uh, it, it makes sense and it can be replicated, I guess, um, in the future uh, through other well, companies. Yeah, and, and Res is historically mainly an EPC, right? <laughs> Um, you know, those entities and all those countries that Ingeting was in, which were largely Latin countries throughout Central and South America. Yeah, there are a lot of And North America too, but they were really heavy presence in the Spanish-speaking and Latin countries. Um, gives gives res a footprint in those countries through which to go chase Correct. business for the upstream business, which then helps to protect that upstream business and hand it off to an internal party, which helps to protect warranty obligations, a bunch of other things. So I think there's a bunch of reasons beyond pure profitability, like a PE would look at something for them to look at that. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing being to think about that, that deal was probably not driven by profitability of the business. It was probably mm -hmm. driven by synergistic effects across oh, right. the entities and and the ability to use that to get into additional markets where they saw growth for the, for the whole, for the resultant entity. 
So exactly. there's more sort of forward-looking business reasons for those types of transactions. And I think those are the types of transactions that will occur. PEs getting into it from a put money in, scale it, take more money out perspective. I think that activity not only is going to decrease or almost stop, but I think the PEs that are already in the market are seeing uh, that it's hard to exit those companies and make any money off of off of them based on what they've had to put into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> it, it's hard, but it's true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we cover everything on the inside, so I invite all the listeners to to take a look. Uh, it's a, it was a strategic move and a win win to both companies, and uh, yeah. I wasn't yeah, for anybody listening, if you want to reach out to either one of us and give us your viewpoint or, you know, please do. And oh, we yeah. will incorporate those views, you know, in, you know, another year when we talk about this probably again. Uh, so that's great. So let's talk about, we talked about profitability. Let's talk about pricing. What do you oh, say? That's the pricing? fun part. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we have uh, internally, uh, we have a, a group at Woodmac that does all the forecasts for pricing, uh, both on CapEx and OPEC side. And for solar PV, we cover uh, the different segments, uh, different uh, facility sizes. So we go from uh, the residential kind of uh, uh, power plant to utility scale. And uh, our forecast over the next 10 years for solar PV, for the last three years, the three uh, previous publications, we actually are seeing an increase in costs. And again, Michael, uh, our forecast is cost and what we publish on the report is price. So our, of course, one is related to the other, uh, but um, our cost projections is that uh, it's going to increase in the short term, medium term and long term. Uh, because of labor, inflation. So it, I mean, fuel, trucks, tools, spare parts, technicians, everything is impacted by this. Um, so that 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 was our forecast. Uh, that's what we've been hearing from our um, clients, from the respondents from the, the survey. And then when the numbers came in, we actually saw a decrease and we were all very surprised. Uh, how can companies be still profitable uh, with a 7.9? That was the average that we got, $7.9 per um, per megawatt DC per year, uh, all in, full wrap. How did you how did you calculate that? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, topic as well. Well, to try to uh, compare apples to apples. Uh, we receive a lot of data points, and uh, they are different from each other. Some of them consider two mowings a year. Some of them consider no washing at all of modules. Some consider four washings because depending on the location of your of your plant. So we try to normalize all this. Um, it's a very complex exercise. Uh, we do our best, and uh, in the end, we do an average. So it's across kind of the national average which I appreciate it does not cover the very specifics of each state, uh, but it's a national average with uh, two mowings a year, two, two module washings a year, basically, that's it. So we try kind of to consider the same characteristics for different project sizes. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2021, we saw $10 uh, per megawatt DC per year. And in 2022, we saw 7.9, and that's for a utility, 100 megawatt utility scale project. So is that an average of what that, you're seeing? That's an average for projects. Is that a is that, that a is that a distribution normalized distribution? Is it a straight average? It's an average considering the fleet that each of the respondents uh, cover. So, let's say that that company A. Uh, gives us a price and they cover uh, 30% of the market compared to another company that covers 5% of the market. So we do a weighted average for those prices that come in. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. where, what areas of the pricing and the market did you see significant shifts and what areas did you not? Because the average sort of and that sort of it, it mathematically covers up 
certain areas that may have specific changes. Correct. Yeah. So when I say average is the full wrap average, but the full wrap average, we, of course, we go through prices in two categories. So we have the vegetation management, we have module cleaning, we have correctives, both DC and AC, and we have preventative as well. Uh, where we saw most change, and I mean reduction, price reduction, was on the preventative maintenance portion. And uh, that's on the, the DC part, right? And also the module cleaning, which was very random. Um, so my, my takeaway from this is that maybe we've seen a lot of digital solutions coming in, right? Into with uh, O&M suppliers. Yeah. So we are seeing a lot of aerial uh, thermography, even done by aircrafts instead of drones. Uh, we are seeing a lot of robots doing uh, module cleaning, which is much more advanced than the vegetation management part. So um, I believe driven by COVID that uh, you need all those kind of activities done remotely. Maybe there was a boom of investments by asset owners, by service providers that are now reflected uh, into pricing. Um, because we had a 44 reduction year over year on preventative maintenance only. Uh, and that's almost half yeah. uh, of the cost. Um, so that's that's kind of my my take from from, from this price reduction. Uh, it's as you know, it's a very dynamic market as well. So I would not be surprised if next year we see those prices going back to 2021 levels around the ten dollar, which is what our estimation shows uh, according to our model. So, why? Why? Why, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> why? I'm left with why? Why is this happening? Yeah, I mean, digital solutions is one of my my the reasons behind, according to what we could um, when we spoke to service providers. Uh, but you, as a service provider, you tell me your your side of the the, the oh, story. The, inner, the, the hunter becomes the hunted here. I I see how this is going. <laughs> You're flipping the script on me. All right, I'm being asked a question. Um, totally fair, by the way. Uh, you know, when I look at it, I, I see a number of things coming together. One, um, average, you know, normal length of ONM contracts is five to ten years. Mm -hmm. So contracts get sort of repriced and rationalized at the at the ending and the beginning of periods when they get recontracted. That's when scopes get adjusted. That's when, you know, owners say, oh, I want to maybe look at some other options, do an RFP, whatever. Um, so one, I, I think if you look at when the IRA events have occurred, there's a five okay. to seven year delay where, you know, everybody's waiting for the IRA to happen, Correct. The, yeah. you know, the extension yeah. like back in 2013, 2014 and now and then and, and they're holding off and things aren't getting financed. And then when it happens, like suddenly a whole bunch of stuff gets financed and it all accelerates and you get this. So you get these you get this sort of compression and rarefaction in the in the upflow up, upstream deal flow that's that's feeding these O&M contracts. And then you have a delayed five to seven year period where they're getting rationalized again. And I think that's one of the things that we've been going through in the last few years. Owners looking around saying, let me see what I can do here. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would say is, you know, the, the blissful days of pre-COVID 2019, right? Once we hit COVID in 2020, deal flow stopped, right? 2021, still not a lot of deal flow. 2022, everybody's waiting for the IRA, right? And it's really just now that I see, and what I've seen out in the marketplace is this pent up demand and owners, some who've had partial plants that they couldn't get panels for for years, finally getting them closed out. Some mm -hmm. who've had plants and, you know, that were passed in TP or waiting on financing that suddenly are getting financed and are off to the races or ones that got pushed to one side. I've even seen plants with just poles in the ground for years that they go back, that they sell partially finished and go back and finish out later. And so I think that 
And what does that do to the marketplace? That creates a dearth of available projects to grow from. So you see a flattening in growth of the third-party providers. Why? Because where are the inputs to that market coming from? And those inputs have largely slowed down and now are picking up again, but your reports are rearward looking. Good. So when there's when there's less out there, then the companies that are there are fighting for it more and the pricing comes down because that is the primary thing that comes out of that type of competitive marketplace. You're not as worried about profitability when you're worried about survival. Keeping your business afloat. Correct. Just keeping the business afloat and getting to that next big growth bump. Yeah. So I think the dynamics of the last few years created a rarefaction in the market, a rationalization of existing stuff, and it created a hyper-competitive marketplace because, because the inputs to the deal flow were not growing the pie, and so people were fighting over the pieces of pie that were left. And to your point, this was all within the context of a bunch of owners adding their own fuel to the fire and their own and creating even more competition while taking more of their pipeline off the market, further concentrating and rarefying the available uh, deals. And so that's what I see. The, the problem here is, is that obviously if, if these contracts are not profitable structurally, then what's going to happen is O&M players are going to fail. And that's what we've been saying for a few years now, Michael. Yes. That, uh, those levels are not sustainable. So not. when we got to the $10, we were like, okay, the market's it's kind of stabilizing now. Uh, that's more, um, that makes more sense, the $10. But now we went back to 7.9. And I'm like, can you really cover, like, can you really maintain a power plant at $7.9 per megawatt per year? Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, um, maybe you can, but um, I don't think that's being done uh, as it should, uh, you know, like considering all the moving parts, all the uh, all the activities that a solar power plant needs to yeah, that's perform. The other thing too, when you're in periods of, of financial strain, you kick the can on on expenses that you can kick the can on. You push them down the road. Right. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you know, you can maintain a complete plant at 7.9, but you can't maintain every plant at 7.9. You know, some take more than others. And what Correct. I've seen yeah. is about a third to half of that is in the ancillary services side, which is your mowing, your vegetation management, your um, panel washing. And what are the major drivers of that are your microclimates and your weather, which in North America in particular are heavily driven by the El Nino cycles and how the jet streams are, are funneling rains and, and weather. And so I think to really understand these trends, given the fact that a third to half of your expense is going to be driven by four and five year climatic weather cycles, being driven by water surface temperatures in the central Southern Pacific, <laughs> as well as some of the central Atlantic stuff that's driving storms and things along the East Coast. And then you have, you know, so much of the solar market, which was in California deserts, is moving into sort of second tier uh, regions, which have great solar resources, but also are exposed to more weather variability. So I think in order to understand these trends, we're going to have to look at them on cycles that go beyond the, the El Nino cycles. So you're going to have to look at them in five and 10 year increments to really understand what those trends are, because you're going to get years like this year where you have a, the, like 2022, where you, we had a national drought mm -hmm. almost, right? Well, except in the West Coast where you had a ton of rain. So all the places where you know, we're dry where it's not normally dry. Well, you don't need, you don't get as much grass growing when it's dry. And mm -hmm. the areas that tr you're traditionally washing panels a lot, you were just trying to keep the panels, you know, above the water line out there this last year. So yeah. you don't need to wash panels when you're, when you're flooding half, you know, the whole West coast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I think, uh, again, to compare apples to apples here in different, considering different states, uh, different um, 
uh, plant ages as well, right? When you yeah. are out of warranty, your prices are going are going to go up, right? Compared yeah. to new built uh, power plants. So there are a lot of things that need to be considered whenever doing this kind of exercise. Uh, although we do try uh, to do that, our is kind of a global average showing overall that, um, yeah, prices went down, although they we expected down. them to go up. We'll see what, we'll see what happens next year. You know, um, what I would like to see if I may make a request uh, of you, of you guys is break the report out and the pricing not i mean i know you have the sections but i would like to understand the up and down trends for pm cms ancillary services yeah. as a separate entity not as a consolidated number because i think that will be very instructional as to what's going on yeah we we, we do have uh we do analyze that in a certain way but I think we could be more detailed on how we show that, uh, I mean, the consolidated uh, numbers. But um, after we, we said it all, uh, Michael, I, I think we agree on two things, right? One is that the last few years have been very different. If I Anomalous. <laughs> Anomalous. And that, that's kind of one of the reasons perhaps why we're seeing the numbers going Kind of crazy almost you know uh compared year over year and uh, the other thing that i believe we also agree on is that there is no way uh prices can keep going down you have um you have the prevailing wage is how yeah. you yeah, the prevailing yeah, wage right. from ira uh you have inflation uh you have labor wages going up combined with the IRA uh, requirement. Um, we have uh, spare parts being uh, affected by inflation. I mean, how on and, earth and, can- And reshoring of manufacturing facilities into areas of more correct. cost as, as you get a political realignment inflate. happening globally, yeah. So I I mean, the, the, this price reduction was a big surprise for me. If it, if it happens again next year, it's gonna be a- uh, even bigger surprise. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, uh, honestly. Listen, call me up. I'll go through the data with you and we'll I'll I'll right? help, I'll help, you know, like translate as best I can. I'd love and to be we invite, I'm gonna invite the listeners too. So we all do as a as a big group and uh and <laughs> have some discussions around it. Yeah. If I was gonna warn owners uh and financiers about this, I, the one thing I would tell them is if you focus on price alone, which by the way, most of them do, yeah. um, you are never going to stabilize your portfolio. You've got to focus on the what the sites actually need and, and, and make sure that you're getting that. But and we sound like a broken them, record. We have been I know, seeing this I, to I the keep, industry like for the last five years. I keep uh, saying this and it just gets ignored. It just gets ignored and there's not even a it's seemingly a desire to really even understand those dynamics right yeah. and and that unfortunately has put us in a position where the industry is not fulfilling the promises that we've made from a production cost perspective structurally we're probably not able to and and that worries me because i'm here for a reason i want solar to grow i want it to be a do. solid form of power and to not and to have those headwinds, which are self-made, are is frustrating. So, um, but given the fact that I'm supposed to be interviewing you and not me, what's your <laughs> final message uh, to the industry and owners and stuff from your viewpoint out of all this? What what would that be? Yeah, um, I believe that again, um, people are just tired of listening to me saying the same thing. Uh, every conference I go, I say the same, and I. I will keep saying the same because I think it's important and it's very much aligned with what you just mentioned, Michael, is that um, whenever uh, people start to say, oh, no, to maintain a power plant, it's between three and four dollars per kilowatt uh, per megawatt. Really? That's <laughs> what never does, been true, what by does the way. Three or four include. But that's what we we keep hearing. Like, I it's mean, just not true. I, it's not, but that's so one asset owner hears that from another one and they are like, oh, my God, if they can do it, I can do it, too. So the three, four 
it stays in their mind as the number, the target number for them to get from service providers. Yeah. But ask yourself, what is included in this scope of supply? Um, are all the required tasks to properly maintain a power plant included in its price? I don't think so. Actually, I don't think, I, I, I'm, I'm sure they are not. So um, I believe we have to get rid of this metric, although we talk about, the, of course, the cost uh, per, 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 what per, per, per year, but we have to get rid of this metric and really think in a way that you are uh, maintaining your power plants to perform the best possible, in the best possible way. Uh, and now you have all these digital uh, 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 tools. You have digital twins where you can really see what you can do. I mean, how much my plant can really uh, produce in terms of kilowatt hour. Um, so I, I think the mindset needs to be changed. And uh, we need to talk more about the, the comprehensive uh, maintenance of a power plant and not just numbers as it was in the past, as it is uh, until now. Um, that's yeah. what I see, at least. When we when we do this uh, survey, Michael, we ask service providers of what asset owners look uh, like, like what is their number one priority when closing a deal. And that has been priced since forever and still is priced. And I understand the numbers they have to pencil out, but uh, it needs to, the, the conversation needs to be more than that. Yeah, to, to boil it down to uh, colloquialism is, uh, I would say focus on quality and understanding your actual needs. Stop squeezing the turnips. There is no blood in there, people. There's none. <laughs> yeah. You're 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 just hurting your you're just hurting yourself. Yeah. Um well, you know, uh it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, yeah. And and you are a wealth of knowledge. Um, you know, your dedication to this part of the industry and trying to get data and facts out of the chaos so that we can all make better decisions is admirable and uh, from the bottom of my heart and from the industry, thank you. You are a thank power you player, you're a friend, and and uh, thank you very much for being a guest on Power Players. Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure and looking forward to the third one. <laughs> Number three, coming soon, y'all, so keep, keep uh, watching. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrgisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.